this series, uh, we're going to have some fun with it, obviously, as you could tell, because I've gone to the movies, and, and I've been kind of on both sides of this. Like, if you're here today and you're not dressed up, uh, I've been to, like, been to those movies, right? There's those movies that people love to dress up for. I don't, how many, has anybody in here ever dressed up to go to a movie to, like, you stand in line for hours? Okay, we got one person being honest in church. Okay, all right, you probably dressed up as Captain America, didn't you? Yep, 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 I, I knew that, I knew that. So, so yeah, I, I didn't know that this was a thing in, until, like, college. I went, and, and, and I don't know if it's always been a thing, like, if people have done this forever, but, but in college, I went to this movie that was coming out called Lord of the Rings. Have you guys heard of that? And, and there's these big, giant guys with these long, flowing gray hair, and, and, and they're standing there. There's these little guys in little robes and everything, and, and like, and like Smeagol over there, like, all crazy, and, and talking about his precious, and, and I'm standing there just freaked out in line because this is the first showing. It's Dallas, Texas. It's crowded. There's just lines all the way around the building. And I'm just, I'm just going. I've never heard of the movie before. I had never gone or, or done anything like this. But they were going to the midnight showing. We were breaking curfew to go. So we, we were just doing it. And so, so we went there. They were like, you got to go. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be amazing. And so I go and I'm standing in line. And, and we get in and we watch Lord of the Rings. How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? And so you've watched that movie. And so this is the very first one. Now, now it, the movie ends, and there's people crying, guys. Like, oh, there's people cheering, like, yeah, like clapping in the audience. Like, it's 2 a.m. I'm just ready to get out of there. But I don't know if you remember how the first movie ends, and I don't know exactly how, but, but I remember being there, sitting there, and being like, that's it? Really? That's it. Because if, if you remember, the very last scene, they're like going to the bridge. It's like, to the bridge! And, and they go, and they like walking down this little windy path, going across this bridge to go over to somewhere. Well, there was something that happened in the entire place that I didn't know about. Maybe kind of if you showed up and didn't show up in costume today, you're like, I didn't know people were dressing up, or I wouldn't have come. Or, or, you, or, or maybe you would have dressed up. But, but there was something that everybody else seemed to know in the entire movie theater that I didn't know is that Lord of the Rings, there was going to be more of them. See, I, I, I didn't know that. And, and, and so there was going to, it was a trilogy and that there were multiple books. And this was something that everybody had read in Texas. It was a part of their curriculum and it was a part of who they were as, as Texans. But I was from Oklahoma. And so I had no clue that this was a series. And so I thought that was the worst ending of a movie ever. Why would you go to a bridge? Yay, that's a great way to end a movie. To a bridge! No, no, that 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 was a horrible way. And and I was angry. I was I was was mad that I just wasted hours of my life just to see all these people end a movie going to a bridge. How many of you guys have ever seen a movie that you've hated the ending of, right? Uh, yeah, uh, probably all of us, right? The ending is, is really, really, really important in, in the telling of a story, and, and we've all been at the end where we, we don't like the way that it ended. Well, I want to start off this morning at the end of a story. I want to start off at the end of 1 John, and, and as we start off this series, because I see it as important to be a key of us, why we keep having some of the same problems over and over and over in our lives. And so as soon as I saw this, I was like, well, maybe. And so we wrote a whole series called Little Gods about it, recognizing and removing the idols from our lives. Because in 1 John, the, the book of 1 John, it's not the John that's in the Gospels. It's not Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's towards the end 
end of the New Testament. You got a first, second, and third John, then a Jude, and then a Revelation, and it's over. So, so this is this is his first book in First John, where he proclaims the good news about Jesus. He's reminding everybody who Jesus was, and the and the recipients of this letter saying, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And so he's like, you guys, you're in. You know Jesus. You're a part of us. You are just like us disciples. You are those that are worshiping God, that are following after Jesus. And so we see that in 1 John 1, 3. But then later on, John added, so that you may not sin. So, so we, we gather together and, and we're a part of this big family that helps us not sin, that helps us not, this, this hair stuff. I don't know how you ladies do this. This is ridiculous. Oh, no. I, I almost, almost man bunned it today, but I figured Zeus in a man bun, that just wasn't, uh, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. But, um, but we see John adds, so that you may not sin in First John, John 2.1. And then in 5.13, he talks about, so that you may know that you have eternal life. See, John in here is writing to the church. He wants them to experience true fellowship with God. He wants them to know God and to know God's people. But he knew that that would not happen until Christians set aside their own selfish desires in favor of the pursuits that God had for them. See, he wrote this to full churches of people who struggled with discouragement. You know, they had their own sins, they had their own hang-ups due to their own failures and, and due to some of the own and false teachings that they had listened to. And he wanted them to be able to follow God more closely, to be able to stand firm against those that were preaching the gospel wrongly, who were sowing discord amongst the churches, who were causing problems. And, and John's saying, enough is enough. We've got to make sure that we know God. We've got to make sure that we know each other. We've got to make sure that we're staying away from sin. And, and then, you know, we have this promise of eternal life. And so I want those same things. I want us to be able to solidify our relationship with God and with, and with each other in the church and to gain confidence in his work in our lives, that he is doing a work each and every day in each and every one of us. But John talks about what kind of thwarts that. See, in, in 1 John 5, 13 through 21, it starts off, and we'll have it here on the screen if you want to follow along there, or if you've got your phone and you want to follow along there. Um, if you like hard copies of the Bible but didn't bring yours this morning, we got free copies that are right back in the back corner, like there's a spool back there with our offering box for those that give and support Innovation Church. There's free Bibles right back there. And so you can grab that right there and follow along with us. But in, in 1 John 5, 13 through 21, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. In verse 14, it says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. By the way, it says his will, not like according to our will, not like, hey, God, I'm running the, rubbing this genie lamp, and I could really use a new car today. Like, I really need this furnace. Like, 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 like we do a lot of things, like, according to our will and not so much according to his will. And so we, we got to make sure that, like, this is what we're following. But it says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Verse 16 goes on to say, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those who sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and the 
there is a sin that does not lead to death. It says in verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. And he goes on and he talks about this. In verse 20, he says, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in the Son of Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And so we, we see kind of those, those highlights showing up. He, he, he wants us to commune together. He wants us to be together. He wants us to strengthen one another. He wants us to stay away from sin. But then all of a sudden, at the very end, he says, Dear children, keep yourself from idols. Just out of the blue. No, has, has nothing to do with idols before. Has, has nothing really to do after because that's the very end of the book. I don't know what you think of, like, if you think of idols. What do you think of? Like, like I, I dressed as Zeus, just in case you were wondering, today. Just so, so to, to, to get kind of that thought process going, my wife went as Medusa, and it's one of her favorite costumes so far that she's ever done. But, but we, we, we dressed as these idols because this is what people used to, like, idol, idolize. Oh, oh Zeus, oh, Medusa, oh, Hermes, all right, Hades, all, all these different idols. There used to be those. I mean, right now, like, like we, we get to settle for like, t or like who, who, who we got? Okay, we, we've got David Cook, right? Ruben Studdard, Kelly Clarkson. Like, like those are, like when, we, when I think of idols, like these were the first things that popped into my mind. American Idol, whoa, 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 right? I just choked on some hair. No, that's horrible. But, but, but maybe you go back. Maybe, maybe your mind thinks a little bit about some of the history lessons that you've learned, and you think of these tiny little idols, right? These little graven images, these carved images. We got Buddha. We got the weird elephant thing. We got the little statues. We got a totem pole. We got King Nebuchadnezzar, who like made like his own like statue of him because he was awesome and made people worship him. Like made people bow down and worship his idol, right? Like, like we. We've got all those, and there's me. That's what I look like right underneath all this, like, toga, like, right there in the middle holding the lightning bolt. That's, that's me, just in case, like, I, I just posed for it. And so um, probably more like the Buddha <laughs> on the other side. Anyways, but, but, but I don't know what it is that you think of idols. Like, you probably don't think of them much. But, but I see John putting this in here because the end of this story is important. Like this idolatry is going to keep us from experiencing everything that he talked about. It's going to stop us from knowing God to the fullest. It's going to stop us from knowing one another, being in communion with one another, being in a community with one another. It's going to stop us from falling back into sin when we're following after these idols, when we're worshiping these idols, when we're, they're, they're taking a precedence in our lives over God. And so you sit there and you're like, well, I don't have any idols. I don't have any little statues around my house. Maybe, maybe you do. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's something we, we can have a personal one-on-one -on -one talk about that if you've got some idol that you're worshiping or burning incense for in your house. Maybe, maybe we can talk about that. But this idolatry that John is talking about, I mean, we're too smart for that. We, we don't carve images and worship those. We, we don't have those types of things in our lives. But that gives me absolutely nothing to talk about for the next four weeks. And so I'm wondering if maybe we do. We just don't recognize it yet. See, because an idol defined is an image or a representation of a God used as an object of worship. 
Like the Bible is pretty specific about idols. When it talks about idols, it talks about them over 158 times. In Exodus 34, 17, it says, do not make any idols. That's pretty clear. In Psalms 106, 36, it says, they worship their idols, which became a snare to them. Ezekiel 16, 21 said, you slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to idols. Obviously, idols are not a good thing according to the scriptures. I mean, it made it in the Big Ten. Thou shalt have no other God. Thou shalt have no other idol before me. See, the King James Dictionary, the Bible Dictionary, it says, an idol is anything which usurps the place of God in the hearts of his rational creatures. We're his creatures. He created us. He shaped us and formed us and made us who we are today. It says in Psalms that he knew us and he shaped us and formed us in, his, in our mother's womb, that he cared that much about us. He even knows the number of hairs on our beautiful heads, right? But, but, this dictionary, this Bible dictionary says an idol is anything which usurps. And I know we can, we can like, well, what does that mean? Like, that is not the syrup that's in Haley's hair this morning. That is, that is, that is not it. Uh, to usurp means to take a position of power or importance either illegally or by force. Either illegally or by force. It takes that position. So I'm beginning to wonder about my own idols. See, I recently went out and bought a truck, and there's, there's this tool that I have. It's called a, a code reader. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those, but, but right underneath the steering wheel, like underneath the column, there's this little like blue or pink or purple or little, little kind of like computer like entrance of a port. And so I take this code reader with me almost every time I go to buy a car because I like to pay cash for them. And, and so they'll always have check engine lights on them. And people are like, oh, well, that's no big deal. Doesn't matter if it's an eight cylinder car and it's only running off six. Don't pay any attention to that, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, people try that all the time. And so I love to take my code reader, plug it in, and figure out, oh, it's an O2 sensor? Yeah, every car has those wrong if it's like over five years old. Or, oh, like it's an EVAP issue or anything? Yeah, that means it's a Chevy, right? And, and so, so you, you plug them, you read them, you find out exactly what's wrong with it, and you know you're like getting into a situation like, hey, am I biting off more than I can chew? Do I have to rebuild the entire engine? Is, is there a big major problem or... Or is it just, yeah, those, those are common. Those, those have to be changed out every now and then. And so, so I, I love to do that. And, and I think what this series is going to be for us as a church is that, that plugging in of the diagnostic tool, right? That, okay, why is our check engine light? Why do we keep pro having the same problem with anxiety? Why is it that we can't sleep at night? Why is it that I'm constantly fighting with my wife? Why, why is it that, that there's a spirit of anger and angst in my family? What's the trouble code? Why is the check engine light on? Why am I not, why am I not fulfilling the unique plans and purpose? I'm not meaning to flash any of you, by the way. I'm trying to keep this down. I got shorts on, just wondering. Just didn't want to scare any of you. We're not Irish today. <laughs> but I'm wondering if we can use that diagnostic tool throughout this series. Say, what are the little gods? I have, I have a short little, it's, it's kind of like one of those little Facebook quizzes, like, be honest, tell the truth. It's actually going live on our Facebook page right now. And so it, the questions are things like this. What do you worry about the most? Right? 
that, that thing that just stays in your mind as you're trying to like shut up, go to sleep, I'm laying down, I've been here for an hour and a half. What is it that worry? What, what is that worry about the most? What if you failed or lost? How, could, how would that make you feel? What is that one thing that if you failed at it or you lost it, how, how would that make you feel? These are, these, these are good kind of tests to see if there's any idols in our lives. What do you use to comfort yourself when things go bad or difficult? What is that thing that you turn to to put everything at ease? What do you do to feel better? What preoccupies you? What, what do you daydream about? What, what makes you feel the most self-worth? What do you lead into conversations with? What unanswered prayers make you really question your faith in Christ? What is your hope for the future? What do you really want out of life? See, some of these things can invade our minds, invade our thoughts, invade our days, invade our lives, our months, and even our years, and I like to call them our surface gods, the ones that just jump in, right? These things might be our image, right? I have meaning by the way that I look, right? <laughs> but it, 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 I find my meaning in, in what I wear and how I look and how my hair is and how my makeup is, how my beard is, right? It, it, it crosses many, many different sexes, and so there's only two. But just by the way, in case you were wondering, <laughs> just in case, you just got to clear that up sometimes since 2019. But um, these might include our image, and we find ourselves in that image or changing that image trying to be who God hasn't created us to be. That'll preach right there. These things might include our dependence, like if we have meaning, if there's someone there to keep me safe. I find my meaning in somebody else. And if they're not there or if they're lost, or if they pass away, I have no meaning. I have no life. I have no purpose then. That can be definitely a surface God. Our work, I have meaning in my ability to get things done. In our materialism, I have meaning by a certain level of wealth or financial freedom or the nice possessions that I have. If only I had this, if only I had that. Well, that newer model came out, and if I have that, then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled. Well, until the next newer model comes out, right? We can do that in religion as well. That We, we can find our meaning, well, I, I keep this rule. I listen to X amount of worship songs. I read my Bible X amount of days, and I read it amount of time. We can even find that in religion. We can have this meaning in our life if we keep to our religion's moral code. Could be our inner ring, those people that are close to us. You know, if this person and this person and this person is a friend with me, then I'm good. We can even make an idol, a surface idol, out of our suffering. That we can have meaning when we're hurting. Because people are finally paying attention to us. And our ideology will have meaning if our views or party's views have influence or power. Those are, those are all kind of surface gods that, that go down to these source gods. Everything has a root. And I think the root gods, the source gods that we, that we see come up time and time again is one is comfort. The second one is approval. The third is control. And the fourth is power. They kind of drive all those surface gods, kind of, kind of like this. If the surface god will be materialism, particularly the manifestation of, of money, right? That, that money, that, that, that materialism, that money, if I have it, then I'm good, right? And so here's kind of the, the, the root of it. For the comfort, the one that's serving the comfort god, that I will have meaning if I have a certain amount of money in the bank. 
then I'm comfortable. And I'm comfortable. If, if this amount is in the bank, so what if God told me to do something with that amount? So what if God told me to sell things to bless somebody else? So what if God told me to sell things even to get out of debt? I don't care. I'm comfortable where I'm at. I'm not going to listen to this God. I'm going I'm to listen to this source God here. The approval God, I know others will respect me and appreciate me if I have a good amount of money to spend on them and on myself. There's that, there's that control one that says, I won't have as many problems if I always have enough money to deal with them. That I'm in control and my money's in control and that I am good. And then there's that power God. I know having more money will allow me to have more influence. And so, so there'll be the surface God of materialism and this manifestation of money, but this source God. that have no other gods before me, now kind of creeps up and we're like, as, as where we could talk about American Idol and we could talk about the little statues, that, that's all really good and that's all like, well, those people were crazy, but when we search down deep inside of us and what really motivates us, that's going to be the focus of this series. See, Mark 12, when, when people came to Jesus and said, of all the commandments, Jesus, which one is the most important? And he says these words in Mark 12, 29. He says, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. I don't think we have much left after all those things are taken care of, right? Our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. You know, Mr. Brian and Miss Susie, Miss Susie's probably serving back in the nursery because she loves them babies, right? And, and so Mr. Brian and Miss Susie, they've been married for 30 years. 30, yeah, yeah, that's worth, that's worth cheering, right? I mean, Brian has had to put up with a lot, right? And we can only say that because Susie's not in the room, right? It is totally the other way around. But we, we, we've, also, we've also got Mike and Mary that got married two weeks ago, right? So, so they're on two weeks. Now, 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 we have 30 years versus two weeks, but I'm pretty sure the answer of both of them would be, you know, like as soon as everything, like as soon as you guys said, I do, everything turned into perfect, right? <laughs> Why are you, are, you, are you guys giggling? See, see, Brian and Brian's answer were the exact same thing, that, that marriage didn't instantly make them complete. It didn't make them, like, hold hands and walk on pillows. Sorry, Jordan. I know yours is coming up next month, and you're like, oh, man, I thought we would be on cloud nine just skipping through life, and we would never fight again because we said I do, and we made vows, and everything worked out, right? Sorry, Wreck-It Ralph. <laughs> that, that, that outfit might be more <laughs> truthful than anything else. But, but we, marriage, it isn't instantly complete after we say those vows, after we say the I do's, after we say the I love you's. I, I, I say it in plenty of, of, of weddings that I do. It's like two streams coming together and making white water rapids, right? Like it's just white caps going everywhere, and then there's rocks, and then there's issues, and there's things like furnaces and cars and, and life that, that just happen, and, and it's there, and, and there's waves. But the more 30-year couples, the more 10-plus years, 20-plus, 30-plus years that I've talked to, they talk about how it takes a lifetime of those streams coming together. 
And that commitment to staying in the same stream together. That commitment to loving one another, even in the midst of the rocks, even in the midst of the waves, even in... It's that coming together, no matter what, that makes the marriage work. Like Ephesians 5.21 that says, Submit yourselves one to another out of reference for Christ. So our relationship with God is that same way. Through the ups and the downs, we're going to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart. No, no matter what storms happens in life, no matter how many doubts we may have, no matter how many questions we, we may have, we're going to return to him. We're going to make sure to love him with all our soul. When, when, when things don't make sense in our mind, like living off of 90% instead of 100% and giving 10% back to God, that doesn't make sense in our mind. Like when he says, raise money and go to Belize, share the gospel with Belizeans, buy property, take all your life savings and buy property in there and begin to spread the gospel. When it doesn't make sense in our mind, we're still loving the Lord God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. When we feel like we've got nothing left to give. We're going to unpack that over the next four weeks. Because it's our entire selves. It's surrendering everything that we have. The worship team is going to come up and we're going we're gonna to close off this service. Yes, dressed up as plenty of different characters. Saying it's not about the character we are. And, and, and really, probably some of us that didn't dress up in a costume, we can be dressed up as well. And it's not about the character that we look like on the outside, but it's what's on the inside, in the heart, in the soul, and in the mind, and with all of our strengths, our entire selves, letting what happened in our heart overflow into our soul, into every part of our lives. You know, as we close and as they get ready, talking about marriage, on, on June 8th, what was that, 2002, 2003? I don't know. We're getting old. We're getting old. We're forgetting all these dates and stuff. I, I didn't ever think that would happen. June 8th, 2002 is when we got married. Um, it was 17 years ago. It's quite a while. If, if I rewind the tape a little bit before that, we'd finished up in school in April, late April, early May, and my wife was planning the wedding in Indiana, and I was in Texas. It was the most beautiful thing, those of you that have ever had to plan a wedding before, because she got to handle all of it. <laughs> and, and I just got pictures of things. And I got to veto or not veto, or know about or not know about. And so either way, I, I, I was out of the loop, and I was happy. But, but I did what any, any, I guess, resourceful man would do. I would pick up double shifts and triple shifts quadruple shifts. I was working at a hotel doing valet and kitchen work and stuff at the time. And, and so I, I, I could work in multiple departments and sometimes sleep at the hotel. 
But when I wasn't sleeping at the hotel, I needed a place to stay. And so there was a, a fellow graduate um, by the name of Aaron Luthley that he had an apartment. And I, and I asked him, hey, when I'm not working, can I just come here to sleep? Other than that, I will constantly work. And so you will, you will barely see me. You barely notice me. He's like, yeah, sure, man, come on in. And so I began to pay partial rent for the place. It was, it was a two-bedroom apartment with three just graduated from college, guys, and so it was the cleanest, most immaculate thing you've ever seen, right? Yeah, you're laughing because you know it's not that, right? It, it was not that. None of us had any girlfriends that were around, and so we got to do whatever we want, and it stunk, and there was, there was dishes just left where the dishes were. There were controllers. There were TVs. There were sound systems that were awesome, right? There, there were car parts all over the place, and, 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 and but, but I was always raised to be somewhat tidy, to put things back where they go. And so um, it, it began to bug me, not just after like one day, but like two days into it. Like, like I had all my stuff nice and neat. And, and, and I was the kind of kid that like went over and like helped them clean their room and like organize their room. Yeah, I, I, I rearrange it, all kinds of things like that. And so, so that's what I would do. I would see these dishes. I, I would see this stuff and I would put it away because it needed to be nice and presentable and everything need, has a home in it. And so it needed to be in its home. And so that's how I was raised. And so I started raising these boys that way, and they didn't, they didn't like it that much. They, they didn't like coming home and not being able to find where they left their things. They didn't like me going into their room and moving their stuff. They didn't like me taking their shoes and putting them away. They didn't like me taking their laundry and throwing it in the laundry. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing their laundry because I have a standard of, of my life and the way that I want it to be, and they come home and they can't find it, and they can't find me because I'm at work. Well, this, this didn't, like by the end of probably week one, they're letting me know their frustrations with me. I tell you guys that story because I think that's many of the times what we do with Jesus. We ask Jesus to come into our heart, ask him to come to life, but we like kind of rope off a little corner for him, right? Like, here you go, Jesus. You just stay right over here. You're, you're good on Sundays, you, you, you're good, like, like when I need that light to turn green, and so I'm going to ask you to do that. Like, like, like when, when, when I re really want to date her, but, like, when we start making out, I want you to go to your room, right, Jesus? And I'm wondering if sometimes in our lives we don't let him fully move in. We ask him to come into our lives, and we put him in the corner. Instead of letting him be involved in our finances, let him be involved in our relationship, let him be involved in our anxiety, let him be involved in our depression, let him be involved in our doubt, in our worry, in our hurts, in our pain, in our past. We just push him over into the corner and say, Jesus, you're good on Sunday mornings. I'm wondering if maybe instead of letting, letting Jesus be renting a part of our lives. What if we let him be the owner? It's got to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. <laughs> he just doesn't take over. He's a gentleman. He doesn't come in and start moving your stuff around and, and throwing it in the way, throwing it away. Becoming a Christian means handling, handing everything we are over to God. Letting him be the one that transforms us. Letting go of our little gods. As he identifies them as we walk throughout these four weeks, we 
begin to push them to the side and begin to take new steps following after Christ. Putting into practice what his word says. Throughout this series, we're going to examine how to live out with our heart, with our soul, with our mind, and with our strength. To love him with everything that they are. It's not all going to take place on Sundays. It's going to be taking place throughout life groups that are going on. It'll be a continual conversation on our website, in our blog post, on our Facebook post. How, how can we? In articles, in videos. And some of you actually have experiences where you're like, hey, I was able to step free from addiction as I stepped closer to God. I want to hear that story. I don't want to just want to hear it, though. I want to share that with everybody. So let's make those videos go viral. Whether I come to your house and film you with a phone or whether you sit in your car and film you with a phone, not driving, but because those cops over there, they'll arrest you. Can we take four weeks and say, God, we want to be the church that loves you with our whole heart, with our whole soul, with all our mind and with all our strength. Can we surrender everything that we are to him. That's the song the worship team wants to sing. <laughs> they want me to get off the stage so that we declare that we're surrendering everything we are to God.